welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Casey Murray. And I'm Jack Anstein. On today's episode, we'll speak with Nathan Kurtz of Kansas City-based insurance company, Brush Creek Partners, about launching the company's InsureTech Accelerator program during the pandemic. And later, we'll look at so-called ghost kitchens, a new restaurant model that has become more widespread during the COVID-19 pandemic. Plus, we'll have the week's headlines, fidgets, and other startup news you need to know. So what are we waiting for? Let's speak startup. So I'm actually recording my part of the podcast from my home in Dallas. Uh, What brings you there? I drove home this weekend so that I could vote. Oh, that's awesome. I think this is both of our first elections voting, correct? Yes, it is. And I'm definitely excited to vote, um, obviously, since I drove nine hours to do so. Um, But I didn't end up getting my absentee ballot, so I had to do what needed to be done. Yeah, I've been waiting on mine in the mail and it still hasn't come, but I have a backup plan to go home and vote if I don't get it. I'm guessing a lot of people are doing this kind of thing since we've had such record-breaking early voting numbers across the country. Absolutely. Um, But let's go ahead and get to our headlines. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, or NGA, plans to open a new geospatial technology lab called Moonshot Labs at the T-Rex Innovation Center in downtown St. Louis. Moonshot Labs will be a high-tech space staffed with software developers, technologists, and data science personnel. The goal of the space is to help the NGA, which is a federal intelligence agency, improve collaboration with private companies and academia in the St. Louis area. Moonshot Labs is set to be completed in 2021. St. Louis area tech firm Finlocker has raised $19.8 million in venture capital. The startup has also announced a partnership with the major credit bureau TransUnion. The Series A funding round was led by Cultivation Capital the St. Louis venture capital firm. Finlocker, which makes software for the mortgage industry, raised more than $10 million last year and more than $4 million in the two years before that. As part of Finlocker's partnership with TransUnion, the Bureau will provide the startup with credit reports and package them with other offerings it provides to lenders. In news of another cultivation capital deal, St. Louis startup Textil has raised $4 million in Series A financing. The technology startup develops texting platforms used by contact centers. Cultivation Capital led the round, which also included investment from Stout Street Capital and Capital Midwest Fund 3. Textil said it plans to use the new funds to expand. It will increase marketing efforts, partner sales, and product development. It will also go from a staff of 18 to 30 by early 2021. Missouri State University's eFactory Business Incubator in Springfield received a $300,000 grant from the Greene County Commission as part of the Federal CARES Act. County officials said the funding would be used for technology expenses. Earlier this year, the eFactory canceled its annual accelerator program due to the pandemic. It is now set to hold an entrepreneurial pitch contest with a $10,000 prize next month. Columbia's Housing Programs Division has launched the Small Business Recovery Loan Program. This program allows small businesses in Columbia with 6 to 49 employees to apply for a $15,000 forgivable loan to cover COVID-19 related costs, such as business interruptions, adaptations, and more. The program will begin accepting applications on October 29th. We'll be back with more Speaking Startup after this message.
Looking to grow your business through digital marketing but don't know where to start? Join us virtually on Thursday, October 29th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. for the free Digital Media Jumpstart hosted by the Columbia Entrepreneurship Alliance. You'll hear from experts in affiliate marketing, earned media, content marketing, social media, and more with tips and tricks for every marketing budget. Be sure to register at startmo.biz for this event on October 29th. That's startmo.biz. Hope to see you there. And we're back. This week, I did some reporting on a new startup accelerator. As we know, accelerators work to help entrepreneurs by providing capital, mentorship, connections, and other resources. But this year, many businesses had to adapt and learn to accomplish that in a digital setting. Yeah, I can imagine that many accelerators have looked very different during the pandemic. Absolutely. And some launched this year and had to navigate pandemic challenges while hosting their first ever cohort. The Brush Creek Partners and SureTech Accelerator in Kansas City did exactly that. I'm sure that was a major curveball. Do you know how the first year went? Yeah, the BCP Accelerator, which focuses on helping technology companies that support the brokerage community, faced some delays and pivots. But ultimately, the first group of startups completed the program. It culminated in a demo day at the beginning of this month. It's interesting to me that Brush Creek Partners, as an insurance company, started an accelerator. Yeah, one of the reasons the company created the accelerator was to help the development of startups whose software or technology it might want to use in the future. Some of the companies in the first cohort included Kansas City area-based Risk Genius, which uses software to analyze insurance policies, and WeatherCheck, a Louisville business that provides information on potential or past weather damage to property. I had a conversation with Nathan Kurtz, the chief operating officer at Brush Creek Partners, about his major takeaways from the Accelerator's first class. Nathan Kurtz with Brush Creek Partners, thank you for making some time to speak with me today. Glad to be here, Jack. Thank you. So can you explain to me um, how the idea for the InsureTech Accelerator first came about? So Brush Creek is part of a, it's a full service insurance agency, basically business insurance. And we were talking with this group room, it's called TechAssure. It's a group of 30 agencies around the world that focus specifically on advanced manufacturing, life sciences, digital health, fintech. And we said, look, you know, we, we work on the front edge, the bleeding edge of technology with lots of our clients. We wanna make sure that we're utilizing technology the best we can ourselves, um, finding the best innovators and entrepreneurs out there and making sure that they're part of uh, what we're doing, that we can utilize their technology too. So it's, it's one of those, partly for us to keep up with the competition and keep growing, we wanted to meet those innovators and two, because we care so much about early stage companies, really wanted to make sure that uh, we have access to their technology and that we can be supportive to them. And so when selecting these clients to participate, what were the major factors you had in mind? Yeah, we wanted them to have a product that was ready for feedback. It was important to us that they demonstrated that other people wanted their their product, their idea, if that makes sense. So it had to be out of idea stage. Um, Two was we were hyper-focused, like extremely focused on revenue generation. And so what that meant was, you know, the 30 agencies in TechAssure, almost half agreed to spend time with each of these companies. And so we set up two or three times a week having these companies meet with each of those agencies. And the goal there is, hey, give direct product feedback. So these, you know, the cohort, they all had a product that was ready for feedback. They had a product that was ready to be used, but they're still looking for, hey, how is the client really going to use this? Are we really solving the problem that they're 
that they're trying to have solved. And our view is very much, how do we help these guys create more customers? You know, and I'll say this, you know, selfishly, does that mean we can use their product down the road? Well, absolutely, and they'll have staying power, but, but it also means we got to support these six businesses getting their next 10 or 15 or 20 clients getting valuable feedback and a really safe, warm introduction, not a cold email or cold call, but uh, a warm intro from our network and the feedback on our team and from most of their tech assure agencies was extremely positive. Did the goals um, of the accelerator change as the InsureTech accelerator went along or did they stay consistent throughout? The big picture goal was let's get them in front of more customers. That was certainly there. Um, but no, we learned a lot. This is our first time as an organization running an accelerator. Um, and we, we were very upfront going in like, hey guys, it's our first time. We're going to certainly make some mistakes. Um, but our, our promise to you is what we said from the beginning is get you in front of more clients. So we learned how to do that more effectively. How did COVID-19 affect the InsureTech Accelerator? Oh man, <laughs> it, was, it was rough. Um, so we had our launch party in December of 2019. Uh, open applications January 1st. Um, we plan to leave them open for two and a half months just to uh, to keep it as broad. And we spent a lot of time recruiting that time. We kept them open until April 6th and then we closed it and we said, pause. And we told everyone we're pausing for now because it just wasn't clear what was gonna happen. And I personally was really pushing on the team to still hold it in person. And by late May, uh, the rest of the team was like, come on, Nathan, that's not gonna work. I'm like, you're right. And so we, uh, you know, we talked to Techstars, we talked to Dairy Farmers, uh, Sprint T-Mobile, we talked to several other accelerators, and we got some great feedback. I mean, there's so many great and gracious people out there in the, in the entrepreneurial support community uh, that rallied to help us too. And so um, what was supposed to be a June to August in-person demo or uh, accelerator in Kansas City ended up being a all remote, all via Zoom. Uh, August and September, the October 1st demo day uh, accelerator. I think the biggest thing we missed was not having an in-person demo day. There's just something about getting to see the founders uh, pitch their idea at the end in person with an audience. Next year, when we run this again, at least that's the plan, we'll do a where are they now and we'll have next year's cohort plus this year's comeback. And then from more of an overview perspective, what are the major takeaways that you felt like you got from the experience? We got some outstanding technology that we're implementing right now. So it helps us and helps our clients. Um, you know, I got six new friends, these founders on there, co-founders too. Like we've gotten to work with some awesome people who really, really passionate about what they're doing, passionate about the problem they're solving. And I've really just enjoyed getting to know them and working with them. So um, and, you know, I think it, it certainly probably helped Brush Creek's brand a bit um, and TechAssure's brand. And that was certainly part of the goal of, hey, we're a small agency in Kansas City, but um, we want to work with great people and great innovators. And what better way to do that than to come alongside and help them? What will the future of the InsureTech Accelerator look like? Let's, let's all hope. Uh, next year, it runs in the summertime. Um, you know, we'd really try to go the, go the same time as Techstars, uh, just so that we've got um, you know, more other entrepreneurs here in town do things together with them. Um, we'd love to do it in person. Um, we'd love to go more like 10 weeks, um, but we'd love to have that stronger connection next year. And is there anything else you'd like to add um, on the topic of the accelerator? I was really pleased with how it went, having uh, such, you know, such a strong industry focus. I think this was effective in our instance because it was so highly focused on our particular industry niche.
All right, great. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks, Jack. I appreciate it. Jack, have you ever heard of a ghost kitchen? Is that some kind of Halloween thing? No, it's a new kind of restaurant business model. Ghost kitchens don't offer dining options, and their food is delivered, usually by a third-party service. Oh, okay. Is that becoming popular? It is, especially because of the pandemic. Restaurants have been some of the hardest-hit businesses, which make ghost kitchens even more attractive. They offer food, just like traditional restaurants, that are less costly to run, because there's no front-of-house staff or decor required. Interesting. Will this trend outlast the pandemic? It might be too soon to say, but I spoke with Adam Pritchett, the executive chef of the High Point Drive-In in St. Louis, to find out more about the ghost kitchen he recently got started. Today we have Adam Pritchett from High Point Drive-In. Adam, could you explain the ghost kitchen concept that High Point is operating? Yeah, so uh, Casey Bones was actually song title for a Grateful Dead song called Casey Jones, and we just took the play off of it from Kansas City, and then obviously the barbecue part, calling it the Bones. How long has it been open? Uh, I would say just over a month now. What was the thought process for opening a ghost kitchen? Well, the main thought process is uh, our downtown location uh, has been a little bit slower than the rest of them. There's no events right now, and the, uh, the convention center is not hosting anything, which is about, I would say, 60 to 70 percent of our actual revenue, uh, having those people there whenever people are in town for those events. So basically, the ghost kitchen was the idea on a finer way to actually try and bring more revenue into the restaurant. You know, it's, it's something we could pull off easily without having to suffer like what we're doing in the actual store. With the pandemic, how much has the regular restaurant suffered? Oh, exponentially. From the beginning, I think it was probably about 70, 80 percent. And I'm, I'm thinking we're probably now at about 50 percent of, you know, what we would normally be doing on a normal day. Do you have specific numbers about how Casey Bones has grown? I don't have any numbers like that. I can tell you that it's now accommodating for probably, I would say, right around 10% of uh, our incoming business right now. So Casey Bones operates closely alongside High Point. Um, it's actually in, it, it's inside of High Point, yeah. How does that look on a normal day? So our normal staff that we have, we kept the ghost kitchen menu very, very simple. It's literally three sides, and then we have our ribs, and then we have about uh, eight different styles of chicken why did you decide to focus on that kind of product? Mainly because we were looking for items that traveled well. Since we're doing it through a third-party delivery company, we wanted it to be something that you could get hot and fresh and still be good when you got it. What are the pros of a ghost kitchen? I think the biggest pro is just, just the extra revenue. It's really helped out. At first, it was kind of slow going, but now it's slowly kind of picking up. We haven't done a whole lot of advertising on it, which we usually don't. But our word of mouth and our, uh, our social media presence really helps that out. Will Casey Bones be kept operating after the pandemic? It's just, I think it would all just depend on how business goes. If they say the pandemic's over and people start coming back around, we might cut it down a little bit. But I think there, there might be elements of it that we might keep on just because I think that they do well. Definitely the chicken wings. let's get to the digits of the week, the numbers that matter most in Missouri entrepreneurship. My digit is $42 million. UMB Capital Corporation 
an investment subsidiary of Kansas City's UMB Bank, said it expects a return of about $42 million on an initial investment of $7 million in Tattooed Chef, a plant-based food company. Tattooed Chef's parent company was acquired by a company that recently went public. UMB received $9 million in cash as part of the merger and is set to gain over 600,000 shares if the company reaches certain milestones in the next three years. Well, my digit is 50,000. Okay, why's that? Social enterprise KC Can Compost says that it collects 50,000 pounds of organic waste from Kansas City area kitchens and diverts it from landfills for composting each month. The organization works with customers to analyze waste generated, provide a composting bin, and pick up waste weekly in an effort to support the environment. KC Can Compost is launching its Urban Compost Initiative on October 24th to encourage those living in the urban Kansas City area to compost. And that just about concludes this week's episode. We just seen our closing thought. Here is Nathan Kurtz of Brush Creek Partners talking about the importance of finding demand in the market. Is it a migraine problem or a headache? If it's a migraine problem where they'll pay money to solve that, you found something. And as hard as it is, try not to get too attached to the initial idea because most likely you're hitting on something very close, but there's probably going to be a couple of pivots to find out what people actually need and want, and then they'll pay for it. That's all we've got for this week's episode. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Jack Anstein and me, Casey Murray. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next time.